Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. In unscripted conversations with investment professionals, you'll hear real stories about successes and lessons learned, informed by decades of investment experience. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. New episodes are available monthly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes in an episode today. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. You've probably heard about Fiverr, a global marketplace of skilled freelancers. But sometimes businesses need to manage multiple complex projects simultaneously. That's why they created Fiverr Pro, where you can gain access to the very best freelancers, streamline your workflow with a user-friendly dashboard, and collaborate on projects with your team. Designed to handle projects of any size, Fiverr Pro is the ultimate freelance solution for your business. With no hidden membership or subscription fees to get started, visit pro.fiverr.com to sign up and use code VOX for 15% off any service. That's pro.fiverr.com and use code VOX. From CAFE and the VOX Media Podcast Network, this is Stay Tuned in Brief. I'm Preet Bharara. Today we're going to talk about the student debt crisis. Just 10 days ago, the Supreme Court agreed to weigh in on the constitutionality of the Biden administration's student debt relief plan. The justices also left in place an injunction blocking the program from taking effect. Nearly 26 million Americans have applied to have some of their student debt canceled. That's just over half of the total number of Americans who owe some level of student debt. So how did we get here? My guest this week is Blake Zeff. He's made a documentary about that very question. It's called Lone Wolves, and it was produced by MSNBC. And it's now streaming on Peacock. Blake has worked at the highest levels of politics and journalism. He's been a senior aide to Senator Chuck Schumer and served as the politics editor of Salon. And he also used to work here at CAFE. Blake, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Congratulations on the documentary. You know, you and I have been talking about this subject, which I know has been near and dear to your heart for a number of years. So I'm glad you got it done. <laughs> Thanks. It feels like a miracle for me. Well, it's hard to get anything done, but it's an important yeah. issue. First, let me compliment you on the title. Lone Wolves, L-O-A-N. Did you did you come up with that yourself, Blake? I did. Thank you. Not not, not terrible, right? There were <laughs> no, it's pretty good. It's a good pun. It's it's hard to get the pun in audio, though. <laughs> so tell folks at the outset what is it that got you interested in this issue, and why are you so serious about this issue, student debt? Thank you. Yes. Yeah, so my wife, you know, uh, went to college, and her dream was she wanted to be a psychologist helping veterans with PTSD. That was kind of the theory that she had honed in on um, as kind of a public service that she wanted to perform. And so she had to go to grad school, get her doctorate to become a psychologist, and then work at the VA hospital. Well, as part of that process, she ended up with around $200,000 in debt. And, you know, it slowly became clear as, you know, after she graduated and was working at the VA hospital that, you know, relative to what she was making at the VA hospital, what she was paying in her student loan debt was really just a tremendous amount of money, making it really no longer possible for her to stay at the VA hospital because it was just, you know, really hard to meet those payments. So that first put this on my radar. And I thought, well, you know, we have a lot of advantages in life. And, uh, you know, there are 45 million other people with student loan debt. This is really alarming. <laughs> if this is the system that we're going through and how we're dealing with it, I just I felt like I needed to see what else was happening out there. And what I found really did stun me and concern me. So we're going to talk about that in a second. But first, could you spend another moment laying out how big a crisis this is, how many people affected? 
how much money we're talking about? Absolutely. So around 45 million Americans have student loan debt. And, you know, that think about that. Everyone pretty much knows someone who does. Either you do or one of your children does or your neighbor. And it's the total amount is around $2 trillion. If you do the math, you're looking at, you know, around $40,000 on average. Um, you know, and, you know, keep in mind, we tell 17-year-olds, 16-year-olds, 70, put your head down, work hard, go to college. This is what you need to do to better yourself, to either, you know, get a good job or to work your way into the middle class. This is the right thing to do. These are kids who think they're doing the right thing. And then if they're, you know, if they're not lucky enough to have parents who are really wealthy, you know, they get handed these loan papers. And when you're 17, I mean, I didn't know what compounding interest was uh, when I was 17. You probably did because, you you know, you're a smart future lawyer. But <laughs> most people don't know smart that lawyers, when you're 17. Smart lawyers know nothing about math, Blake. Yeah, that's, that's actually true. But wh why is the problem so much worse now than it was in prior decades? It's a great question. And one of the reasons is that, and you may know this based on the age of your kids, college tuition has just climbed to obscene levels. I mean, I'm, I'm going around on a college tour now, showing the movie to, to the students and doing you know, Q&As with them. And they're telling me that it costs eighty dollars to $85,000 a year for them to go there. That's crazy. Eighty to eighty-five thousand. I mean, that is out of reach for most families in this country. How do we get here? Well, that's really interesting. One of the ways in which this system has gotten out of control is that in 1998, two lines were inserted into a massive education bill in Congress. Those two lines essentially said that if you have federal student loan debt, you cannot discharge that debt through bankruptcy. Now, you can discharge almost any debt in this country. Like, you and I could go to Vegas tonight and lose $10 million, and, and maybe we should, um, and we could discharge that debt, theoretically, through bankruptcy, excessive shopping, you, you name it, credit card debt. But student loan debt, there was a little carve-out that happened in 1998. And what that did was, yes, a lot of people might want to you know, apply for bankruptcy, but a lot of people won't. It's a bigger issue at play. Structurally, if you've got a system where there's not a threat of bankruptcy, the college lenders know that repayment is guaranteed, and so they will lend out money to anyone at any amount, regardless of who they are, a little bit like the housing crisis. If you remember, they were handing out mortgages to anyone, right. and the colleges know this. So the colleges will just keep raising their prices to obscene amounts because they know that the lenders will be able to give out money to anyone. So it's really – there is a structural problem in this particular lending system that is very unique and problematic. So you're saying, just so I'm clear, that the issue, this bankruptcy provision – does not only affect the people who at some point in the future may in good faith and legitimately need to file for bankruptcy and discharge all their debts, including their student loan debt, but affects everyone else too because of the incentives it puts in place. That's exactly right. The prices have spiraled out of control, and it's because the lack of bankruptcy creates a structural problem where the lenders are just going to keep lending out money to anyone at any amount because it's repayments guaranteed. And the colleges aren't dumb. They know that. And so they keep hiking the prices, hiking the prices. The problem is that the people who go to college or their parents are the ones who end up you know, with these crazy bills and they have no recourse. So who were the folks, if any, who were responsible for putting in these two sentences in the 1998 bill? I'm really glad you asked that question, Preet, because <laughs> I, thought I, was, I thought I was going to reach out to that person and simply say to them, listen, it's 20 years later, 25 years later. You know, I, I, I approached it in good faith. I assumed that, you know, because the system wasn't as crazy back then, prices weren't as high back then. I assumed that they might say, oh, yeah, we did that. And boy, we didn't realize what things were going to be like 20 years later. This should be fixed. Well, what I first found out was that no one would cop to being responsible for it. No one put their name on this thing. And, you know, you and it I wasn't worked- an, in, It wasn't an amendment. Like you and I both worked in the Senate. 
It was just inserted in the main bill. Correct. It was not something where someone, you know, where it said, you know, the person's name on it. No one put the, and you and I from working in, in the Senate know that politicians aren't usually shy. <laughs> they like to get attention when they do stuff. So immediately I knew we had a story here. And essentially the film, Lone Wolves, that I've directed became a whodunit. And for years, I was going around talking to everyone involved, and no one could tell us, even people in the room, the aides who worked on that bill said, no one wanted to put their name on this one. So eventually, during the course of the film, we do find the culprit. And I don't want to quite give it away, but I'll say it was stunning, someone that I never would have expected. I do confront them. And, um, you know, I, I really think that watching that conversation will not just tell you about student debt, but will tell you about democracy in this country and how politics works and how a bill really becomes a law. Um, and I think it'll be really um, uh, stunning for a lot of people. Okay, so you don't want to give away who the culprit is, but is the culprit a member of Congress? The culprit is someone who worked in Washington, D.C. at the time. Okay. Is what I will say. And All now right. is... And now is no longer working in Congress. <laughs> I see. I got you. But can you say, or maybe this is the culprit, is the culprit somebody who put the provision in or is the culprit the person at whose behest it was put in? And can you say anything about yes. at whose behest it was put in? Absolutely. So someone, you know, ultimately a senator had to actually put it in or a member of Congress had to put it in, but they got the idea from a very unusual person working in D.C. who most people have not heard of. I certainly had not heard of. And this person who was not elected, basically anonymous, essentially changed the course of the economy for generations to come. They weren't elected to anything. No one had ever heard of them. And the confrontation with them, the conversation about how they feel about this a couple of decades later was really staggering. So I'm confused. If it's so clear, as your documentary seems to lay bare, that this is unfair and student debt shouldn't be treated in such a specialized way and, and it should be dischargeable like other debts, whether you like or dislike the idea of bankruptcy, how come it's not been repealed? That was the other really primary question that we tried to set out to figure out here, because in the in the movie, we've got people on the right, like Tucker Carlson, Jerome Powell, um, a, a man named Wayne Johnson, who oversaw federal student aid for Donald Trump. We have all Wait, these people. Dwayne Johnson? <laughs> yeah, didn't you know that he had a stint in D.C.? I think The Rock could get this done. He really would be able to. This was, unfortunately, Wayne. Starts with a W, oh, Wayne. Wayne Johnson. Wayne but, Johnson. Um, Dwayne The Rock has not, you know, returned my calls yet in terms of being in the movie, but maybe, maybe in the next one. But anyway, we've got a number of Republicans who who favor this, and we we have people on the left, Dick Durbin, Elizabeth Warren, who say Wait, who favor so, the repeal, who favor the repeal of who favor provision. overturning this policy. Okay, so you and so you have it. something, and as we know, in the years since we left the Senate, it's become increasingly difficult to have bipartisan support. You have people like Durbin on the one hand and conservatives on the other hand. What's the delay? That was my question. And so at the end of the film, I talked to Senator Durbin because he's carrying the bill that would overturn this. He's a bill called S-2598, or the Fresh Start Through Bankruptcy Bill. And he's co-sponsoring it with John Cornyn. Another Republican that your listeners, I'm sure, have heard of, Josh Hawley, believe it or not, is co-sponsoring this. So it's really a bipartisan thing. And the first thing that has to happen is that Durbin has to bring it to the Judiciary Committee, a committee you know a lot about, before it can then go to the floor of the Senate. Well, I talked to Senator Durbin, and he says, well, we need Senator Schumer to you know, support this because he ultimately can decide if it goes to the floor. I talked to Schumer. He's You for know that it. guy. I do know that guy, and you know that guy. He used to I work for him, guy. and he's in favor of it. But so the next step is Senator Dick Durbin has to bring it to the Judiciary Committee that he chairs. And in the film, he pledges he will do it this year. Well, as we all know, we've just got a couple of weeks left. This lame duck session, this is something concrete that Dick Durbin and Congress can do to address student debt 
while the Supreme Court is dealing, you know, with the student debt cancellation, that's a totally separate issue. This is something that the, that Congress can actually control themselves. Dick Durbin has not yet done it. He's got a couple of weeks left to push forward S2598 to the Judiciary Committee. May I allow you at this moment to say your piece, if you want, about the lobby that would be in favor of maintaining the provision. Absolutely. I mean, that's the college lenders. You've got Sally Mae. We get into this a little bit in the film. There's a lot of money that these lenders and this whole student loan industry puts into lobbying members of Congress in the House and Senate. By the way, both parties, although certainly some members get get more than others, and they have a real vested interest in keeping this going. However, as you noted, and as we've just discussed, this is now a bipartisan consensus that is forming on this issue. And I think this is really the next frontier that we should look at. Look, student debt cancellation, that is a retroactive solution. That is for people who already have the debt, right? And that is to give them some kind of relief. And people on different sides will disagree on that, whether that's right or not. This is a prospective looking forward solution that says, because by the way, even if you do cancel some debt, people will start accruing new debt next semester. So you still have to have a prospective forward looking solution that deals with the structural problems of the student lending system. And the bankruptcy thing wouldn't fix it on its own. It's not the only one, but it is something that would, and it's something that's very doable in the next few weeks. Now, is there some remedy or some solution or some aid that can be brought to bear by the Department of Justice or some other government agency short of an act of Congress? Yes. And just recently, Joe Biden's Department of Justice issued new guidelines when it comes to bankruptcy uh, for these bankruptcy cases that might get brought. Right now, just to be very technical and clear, you theoretically can discharge your federal student debt through bankruptcy if you can demonstrate something called undue hardship. Now, I've talked to a lot of people who have student debt. They all think they have undue hardship. No one thinks that the hardship is due. Um, having said that, <laughs> judges seem to think the hardship is due. And we have a bankruptcy lawyer in the movie who says, really, unless you've got serious cancer, it's very hard to convince a judge that you have you know, undue hardship. Now, Joe Biden's Justice Department have just issued guidelines saying that their definition of undue hardship will be a little bit more specific. So it's no longer just some intangible uh, phrase where it has certain conditions and that they're going to be a little bit more open minded on it. So that's important because the Justice Department you know, is the one who you know, essentially will be on the other side of these cases in court. Um, having said that. It's not the same thing as legislation. Legislation will codify something into law permanently and really make it so that you get rid of the undue hardship clause altogether. So what the Justice Department has done is a step in the right direction, but as always with these things, the devil will be in the details. By the way, in in researching this sort of aspect of the student debt crisis, do you have or have you formed a view of the merits of a policy advanced by Joe Biden to cancel a subset of student debt? You know, I have. I, 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 to be clear, so I, as I mentioned before, forty thousand is roughly the average that people have. So if you're looking at ten thousand dollars for a lot of people, that's really just you know, if you're looking at forty thousand dollars in debt, or a lot of the people in the movie have a hundred thousand, hundred fifty thousand, ten thousand doesn't really feel like a big difference for them. It's going to feel like a rounding error. Um, for people though who have ten thousand or twenty thousand, it'll make a big difference in their lives, and I think that it's something that you know really can help them. I, I, I support that policy. And the other thing that we get into in the film for people who might say, you know, there are a lot of people with good faith 
concerns about that. I might say, you know, I worked my way through college when I was younger. Yes, but college was $2,000 a year back then. Now it's $80,000 a year. Or you took out a loan. Why didn't you know what you were getting yourself into? As I mentioned before, these are 17-year-olds who don't know what compounding interest is. So I think that this is something that makes a lot of sense that could help a lot of people. But the biggest thing I want to remind people is there's this idea that taxpayers will have to shoulder the burden for this if we do this. It's not really the case. We have economists in the film who explain that it's not a zero-sum situation with the, with the budget for the government. It doesn't mean that this money is going to have to come from some other place, as we saw with the PPP loans, right? These are the, the loans that were given out during COVID to businesses to try to keep them afloat. The overwhelming majority of those loans were forgiven. And that's fine. I don't think there are a lot of people saying, demanding that those businesses pay back their loans. It's because the government can handle that. So I just want people to know that this is not going to put some major dent um, in the budget where we have to all of a sudden raise taxes on everyone to pay for it. So given that, my answer to your question is yes, I think that it's a, it's a policy that, that is worthy of support. Yeah. I just, you know, I once quipped on Twitter about the comparison between student loan cancellation and PPP loans. In fairness, it's not quite the same thing. Mm-hmm. The PPP loan program, I get the sentiment, but the PPP loan program was you know, a universalized program in the face of an overwhelming crisis of, of a pandemic where daily hundreds of people were dying and it was a short-term solution for the purposes of keeping our economy afloat. So a, a little bit different, but I, I take the point. Putting aside the substance and the cost of this issue, do, do you understand, having been an expert in politics and been in politics, why there is some political backlash to student debt cancellation. Do, do you see the point that the opponents are making? Absolutely, a, a thousand percent. And really, I really go into this with a very open mind and, and really trying to take on all the arguments that good faith arguments that people have on the other side. You know, like I mentioned before, um, older generations will often note that they worked their way through college. I get that. The, you know, the, the, the circumstances were different and we get into that in the movie. Or, um, you know, there's a funny little section where one of the objections seems to be just a general concern that millennials complain about everything and are whiny and we should ignore it for that reason. And we take that on. Uh, <laughs> Do you have a view of that? Is that true? Is that true, Blake? Well, I think that, you know, are with you every group- Are you a millennial or are you, are you a Gen X? I don't I'm know. sadly, I'm on the, I think I'm on the bottom edge of Gen X. Um, yeah, sorry about that. Yeah, thank you. You know, we, I feel like we kind of are just stuck in the middle there, you know? It's like the boomers are fighting with the millennials and we're just sort of watching the fight happen. Um, but anyway, yeah, I, I actually totally understand the objections to this. And we really try to methodically go through it in a fun, good faith way. That's the other thing I'd like to mention, if I can. This may sound really serious. We've been having a serious conversation. And obviously, of course, the ramifications are serious. The movie is really meant to be, believe it or not, somewhat breezy and fun and funny, sort of in a vein of, you know, if you like Jon Stewart or um, The Big Short, or you like um, Michael Moore style stuff. I'm not comparing myself to these people, but if tonally you like that kind of a thing, that's sort of how we've tried to position this so that, um, you know, if we're going to make you watch something about bankruptcy and how a bill becomes a law and compounding interest in 1998 legislative history, we want to give you a little bit of fun while you do it. So we try to do that. And we do take on these arguments that you mentioned in a, in a good faith way, because I do think that they are there are a lot of people with open minds who just don't have the full context of what's happening. So speaking of fun, last question. Was it fun or something other than fun to interview on camera our former boss, Chuck Schumer. It was awesome. <laughs> you know, it was, I mean, it was really surreal for me because I was his communications director almost 20 years ago. And so I was the one booking these interviews for him and prepping him for them. And now to be on the other side, you know, I was talking to his press people, preparing, you know, letting them know what was going to happen and, you know, discussing all this. 
you know, I, I, it was a very weird situation. I felt like I, you know, I, I felt like I should have been on their side of it. And you kind of instantly go back to that mindset when I'm sitting with him and when people watch and when I'm sitting with him doing the interview, I kind of do feel like I'm 25 years old again and working for him and we still have that kind of relationship to some extent. And I had to put that aside as a journalist and say, no, this is me interviewing a politician, a very powerful politician who can impact something. And I've got a really, I've got some questions I really want to ask on behalf of the 45 million people who have student debt. And I got to treat it that way. But I think someone like you watching it will probably see, um, you know, me tr really trying to, to, to battle that. Did he assign you any work? <laughs> <laughs> I think he assigns work to ex-staffers too. He did. He, uh, he, at the end, he, uh, you know, asked me to keep him posted on this, and uh, I took that very seriously. Blake Zeff, congratulations on the documentary, Lone Wolves, streaming as we speak on Peacock. Thanks so much. Thanks so much for having me. For more analysis of legal and political issues making the headlines, become a member of the Cafe Insider. Members get access to exclusive content, including the weekly podcast I co-host with former U.S. attorney Joyce Vance. Head to cafe.com slash insider to sign up for a trial. That's cafe.com slash insider. If you like what we do, rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Every positive review helps new listeners find the show. Send me your questions about news, politics, and justice. Tweet them to me at Preet Bharara with the hashtag AskPreet. Or you can call and leave me a message at 669-247-7338. That's 669-24-PREET. Or you can send an email to letters at cafe.com. Stay Tuned is presented by Cafe and the Vox Media Podcast Network. The executive producer is Tamara Sepper. The technical director is David Tatashur. The senior producer is Adam Waller. The editorial producers are Sam Ozer-Staten and Noah Azulai. The audio producer is Nat Wiener. And the CAFE team is Matthew Billy, David Kurlander, Jake Kaplan, Namata Shah, and Claudia Hernandez. Our music is by Andrew Dost. I'm your host, Preet Bharara. Stay tuned. Support for today's show comes from Deloitte. Do you want a career that meets you where you are and takes you where you want to go? Whatever your individual ambitions, motivations, and skills may be, discover your potential at Deloitte. Right along with purpose-driven teams and a difference-making culture. Be seen for who you are and celebrated for what you bring. Discover your impact at Deloitte. Learn more at Deloitte.com slash US slash Discover Careers.